Well, good morning, church. Hey, um, grab your Bibles. You're going to need them here in a little bit. We are reading daily out of our, our rooted books. Hopefully you are. If you didn't get a book or you're, you're not doing that, that's okay. We do still have a few books uh, that are in the back. Just come see me and we'll get those to you. Uh, or maybe you signed up and you forgot to get your book. Um, we're almost halfway through. There is still time to get in and understand what's going on with this whole rooted series. Um, next Sunday, you're going to hear a message about serving. That's why we have the sign-up sheets already for opportunities to serve. There's going to be, you know, this is a church that I don't have to say, hey, love God, love others, and challenge you to go love others because you are a church that loves others. Uh, a lot of you serve in so many different ways, and you're a blessing to so many people. But what we want to do now is set a whole week set up with opportunity to serve where you can get with other people and serve. And so if you're looking for those opportunities, make sure that you sign up. For those of you who are farmers or you like having a garden, you like to work with plants, uh, whatever it may be, you understand all the hard work it takes to preparing the soil and then planting those seeds. And as you work and prepare and plant, you understand that's just the beginning. Your investment is in the ground, and now it is subject to everything else around it. Whether it be weeds, insects, animals, it might be atmospheric things, whether it's a lot of too much rain or too little rain or strong winds or hail. There's all kinds of things that can come in and really uh, wreak havoc on what you've planted. And I was thinking about this, that even after that initial growth, when this first plant, initial growth, there's something that can come along and hinder the growth. And it's the same thing with all of us spiritually. When you take root with your faith in God through Jesus Christ, you have this, this new life that begins, and it's like that seed sprouting in the soil. But as you grow in your faith, there are so many outside factors that come in and hinder or challenge our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So with your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today for the most part, the beginning for sure. This book was written by the Apostle Paul. First three chapters really describe who we are in Christ. You are adopted by God. You are uh, new in his family. You've gone from darkness to light. You have a new relationship with him. Then chapters 4 through 5 describe how you're supposed to live then. Living in the light. Living uh, different from the world. Living this holy life. And then you get to chapter 6. And we discover that as his adopted children, who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, striving to live this incredible holy life, we are living in a very hostile environment. So in verses 10 through 12, we're told what we're going to face and how we should face it. So if you look at me, we'll start in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So let's notice a few things here as Paul's starting to write this again. Here you are, a child of God. You've been adopted in this family, sealed with the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit, trying to live this Christian life. And oh, by the way, here comes the opposition. 
So let me give you a couple of commands. First of all, we're told this. We're supposed to be strong in the Lord. Okay, well, how do we be strong? Well, first of all, basically allow yourselves to be continually strengthened by the power that's already been made available to you and I through our new position in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That power resides in you. That is what we're supposed to be strong in. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 talk about that power. The next command is to put on the full armor of God. Now, we're not going to get into it today, but if you were to continue to read on, you'd read all the pieces of armor that we're supposed to put on continually, repeatedly. And there are certain points in our time when it's like, I need to go right now and, and just pray up this armor on me, right? Because the spiritual protection God has provided for us, the question is, are you putting it on? And the question is, well, why would I put it on? Well, because you're going to be bombarded by the strategies and the tactics of Satan. And if you are going to stand firm in this new faith and not be destroyed, you need to put on this armor. Next command is to stand firm. And again, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we discover we've been transferred from darkness into lightness. We are adopted into this new family. We are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Just like that plant that's been, uh, that seed that's been planted and it's starting to, to sprout and sort of grow, you're going to have things that come along like tornado-like weather and winds and it's just going to like try to uproot you. Stand firm in this soil that we talked about in Ephesians 1 through 3 or that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 through 3. And if you look in that same scripture, you see the word for our fight. It's like that word fight or wrestle or struggle. You'll see different translations. This word used by Paul is sort of a wake-up call because everybody went to the Colosseum where they would watch these gladiators fight and wrestle. But here's the difference. Today, if you go to a wrestling meet, you see somebody get pinned, maybe. I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing. You want to you take them down and keep them down. Then you pin them. Boom. You get up, shake hands, go to your corner, and next match another day, right? In the Colosseum, when the gladiator pinned another gladiator to the ground, that other gladiator did not get up. He was permanently pinned to the ground. He was put to death. So Paul uses this. He says, this struggle, this fight, like in the Colosseum, it's life and death. And he goes, our spiritual opponent wants to pin you permanently, so understand who your opponent is. And that's what this morning's message is all about. I want you to know who your opponent is. I want you to know what's going to come up against you and your faith. Some of you already know what it is. You've already experienced it, but you've not been able to put your finger on it and define it. We'll do that today. Because our opponent is not this... This Halloween costume devil with a plastic pitchfork, okay? You've seen those, right? You've seen kids dressed up like that. Can I just say this about Halloween? Everybody enjoys dressing up. Not everybody, but a lot of people enjoy dressing up. A lot of people are having fun. That's okay. But the one thing I, I, I draw the line on is when you start dressing up like an evil person. When you dress up like the devil. When you dress up maybe even, you know, and I, I might step on some toes here. But when you dress up even maybe like a witch. I was in defiance a couple of weeks ago, and I was just driving down the road downtown, and, and I see a group of ladies coming, trying to walk across the street, and they, they sort of went behind me. I thought, oh, it must be a bridal party, because they were sort of dressed up, and one of them had a hat on. And I was like, what is going on? It was a bridal party. But then I turned into the next main street, pulled over in front of a coffee shop. I got coffee shops in every town, by the way. But this particular one I pulled into, and I, as I got out, 
I had to weave and bob through all these witches. There was people dressed up like witches all over the place. I went inside. I said, what's going on? Oh, it's the witches brew. It's an annual event. It's like, I've been around this area for years. I've never heard of this. Like, what happens? Well, people just dress up like witches, go around and drink and have fun and so forth. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just, I just again, thought it was somewhat odd. I'd never seen that before. But then it started me to think about when you do dress up, when you put a mask on, what do we often do? We start acting like what we've dressed up as, right? So what happens when you dress a little kid up in a devil suit or a woman in a witch? And when you start dressing up like these, how do you come across? How do you portray yourself? And, and I guess what I want to say is we got to start looking at evil as what evil is and not messing around with it. You want to dress up, dress up. There's a lot of fun costumes out there. But when you pick a costume that represents our opponent, that's a little scary. When we know that our spiritual opponent, who he is, listen, let me tell you about Satan. He is a created being. He is not like God. He's a created creature. He took one-third of the angels with him out of heaven when he rebelled. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. We call them demons. He's got one mission, destroy mankind. That's his mission. He seeks to destroy those who are created in the image of God. Because that's what you are. That's what I am. We've been created in the image of God, and the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like you. He'll do anything to hurt you. And I'm not just talking physically. I'm talking he will do anything to disrupt your trust in Jesus Christ. That is destroying. So we were created to worship God, to trust him. And the devil can keep us from doing that. He will do whatever he can. He will put, he will, whatever he can, like maybe sideline you this direction. How about you trust your money? How about you trust your sports? How about you trust your job? How about you trust relationships? See, if you can put all your trust into any of those things, more than God, he wins. Because he doesn't want you to trust God. We need to be aware there is a battle going on. So let me give you five quick points about spiritual warfare that we can all get on the same page on here. Here's the first thing. There is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. There's an invisible world just as real as the, in, as the visible world. Now, take you back to a story. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha's with his servant. And they're in this home, and, and he's being hunted out by the king of Aram. The king of Aram sends this big army to surround Elisha's house. The servant gets up early in the morning. He goes outside to get something. He looks up, and he sees all these, these warriors and soldiers surrounding their house. And they're thinking, we are in trouble. He goes into Elisha, and he says to Elisha, we're dead. I mean, we're, we're surrounded, right? We're in trouble. Uh, what are we going to do now? Elisha very calmly looks at him and says, don't be afraid. It's okay. He says this in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes, let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You see, there is an invisible world we do not see. If God took the blinders off us this morning, I wonder what he would see circling around our church. Would there be demons on the outside of our church trying to get in here and disrupt the worship of God? I'm going to guess probably so. And would there be hopefully angels sitting in all four corners of this building protecting us? I would pray so. There is an invisible war that goes on that we just can't see. Here's the thing, number two. We're involved in this invisible war. It's a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. 
It's a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 says this. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Listen, church, Satan is a deceiver. He will do all he can to deceive truth. He wants you to believe the lies. And he will do all he can to twist or deceive the truth of what God is doing in your life and who God is. Because if he can get you to not worship God, he wins. So he'll make you have these false thoughts or twist the truth about God like, well, God is a mean God or God is like this. Why would I ever worship God? When we start having those kind of thoughts about God, we choose to stop worshiping God. So he will do what he can to deceive us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 to 17 says this. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, Satan will deceive us into pursuing the wrong things in life. Lust, pride, possessions, power. I mean, on our own, we probably wouldn't pursue those things, but if we have been deceived in our thoughts and our minds thinking, that will make me feel better about myself, that is the answer to my life, then we will probably pursue them. Again, the attack is often in the mind, pointing us towards the things that we see, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, this pride, these possessions. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I'll put it on the screen for you. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Please understand this. Our enemy, the devil, does not play fair. He will blind our minds, Christians and unchristians. But here we read that he blinds the minds of those who don't believe. Why do people not believe in Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, it's not necessarily an intellectual issue. It's often a moral issue. Let me give you a couple examples. First example is this. Is killing a baby right or wrong? Let's be honest. You know, an abortion is taking that which is alive and putting it to death. Nobody wants to say it out because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But we, we, we understand this. Intellectually, when you end life, you end life. Whether it's an abortion clinic before birth or whether what we've read about and the atrocities that's happened in Israel with, with Hamas killing babies. Church, listen, it is morally wrong. And this is not just an intellectual issue, because I think we know this, but because we've been blinded to what is morally right and wrong, we take that which is wrong and we say, well, it's okay. The God of this world has blinded our minds. It is not okay. How do you turn down the good news of Jesus Christ? Here's my second example. How do you turn down the good news of Jesus Christ? Think about this for a second, okay? We know that we've all sinned. We know that we've all messed up. We all make mistakes. We do. Every one of us. Top dog right here, okay? I messed up too. 
and I know that I need forgiveness. You know that you need forgiveness, right? There is a Savior who claims the power to save us from our sins. He walked this planet. He performed miracles. Jesus died, rose from the dead. He was witnessed by over 500 people who saw him alive after his resurrection. And then this handful of followers turns into the greatest movement in history as Christians are all over this globe, right? This is the offer. Seek forgiveness. Get right with God. Experience new life in Christ and eternal hope. That's the offer. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, all I got to do is recognize that what I've been doing is wrong and admit that to God. And, and he'll forgive me. And he'll give me new life. And I'll have this eternal hope. Yeah. Yeah, too good to be true. Okay, tell me, how, how do you not receive that? How do you not choose that? Unless, what? You've been blinded by the God of this world. We're blinded with lust. We're blinded with power. We're blinded with pride. We're blinded with temptation. Those are all weapons the enemy uses to blind us at times. Think about this. We have one shot each week to gather and worship God. That's it. This church offers only one time. Sunday morning, you can come at 9 or you can come at 1030. That's the only time we offer where we can gather everybody together to worship God, right? And it's not because... Um, I've been told to do this. It's because we know we're supposed to do this, right? It's not because I say, hey, you guys need to show up. It's because we know we've been created to worship God. So we got this one shot, this one opportunity to come together and worship. But here's the thing. People still choose not to worship on Sunday. Why is that? I mean, is it because they hate God or the church? No. Oftentimes it's because oh, you know what, there's something else I probably could be doing. There's other things I should be doing. Maybe whether it's leisure, whether it's recreation, whether it's, it's your job, whether it's, it's something else, uh, sports. I mean, the God of this world blinds us as to what we really need and we substitute it with something else. What do we really need? To worship our God. But what do we often do? Worship the things that fit our life that's, you know, felt good occupies my time. I'm supposed to do something else right now, right? Oftentimes when parents say, I don't know why my child acts a certain way they do and why they don't want to go to church. And sometimes as a parent, we got to ask this question. Well, first of all, am I going to church? Am, am I reading the Bible? Am I praying at home? Am I setting an example for my kid at home? So when they see me, they should want to go to church or am I not setting an example? I mean, if I've not made church a priority in my life, why should my kids make a priority in their life, Right? But maybe you have made a priority in your life to go to church, but yet your kids still don't want to go to church. Why is that? Because I believe the God of this world has blinded their eyes as to what we need and what they need. You see, we need God, but often we choose other things. And this morning, I may, I, listen, I might say a few things that just might be like me stepping on your toes. You might not, oh, Rex, you... Mm, that didn't sit well with me. And, and so I'm going to say this. If I'm stepping on your toes, listen, I would rather step on your toes than the devil step on your throat. Okay? Because if the devil steps on your throat, he ain't letting up. He's out to suffocate you and kill you. Me? I just might step on your toe. Not purposely. I'm, I might in, unintentionally step on your toe. But just let that be a little wake-up call. Because here's the thing. I need people stepping on my toes too. A lot of times the Holy Spirit will wake me up and say, hmm. He stepped on my toes. Sometimes he slaps me across the head, okay? It depends on what I need. But there's a wake-up call. 
And we need to understand this. We have an enemy who is dangerous. And he will blind us. And we need to be alert to this. We need to be awake to this. Thinking too little of him, like uh, the devil's not involved, or thinking too much of him, he's behind every single thing that goes on. Like, I got a sore right now. I have the demon of sore throatness in me or something, right? Or I just stubbed my toe. I got the demon of bad shoe walk or something. I don't know. It's like, you can't say the demon's involved in everything because there are, we do make bad choices on our own and there's consequences, right? But to blame him for everything or to not think of him at all is dangerous. He is there. Don't underestimate his work. Here's the third thing. Our foe is very powerful. His goal is to destroy us, discredit the cause of Christ. Please don't take him lightly. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this. Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, listen, church, as I'm saying with all this, he plays for keeps. He doesn't mess around. I've, I've never been on a safari before. Uh, I've never talked to anybody that's been on a safari before where they've heard this, but I've heard stories about this. I looked up and heard one guy tell about how when he was out, he heard the roar of a lion out in the wild. And he said it was scary. When you hear the powerful roar of a lion, it's scary. He says, here's what typically happens. When that lion roars, all of its prey runs in the opposite direction. Guess what's in the opposite direction? The rest of the lions, the pride, waiting for the prey to come their way. He scares the prey into a trap. That's what the devil does. He will raise his voice. He is, he's a pretty smart dude. He will put fear into your life to provoke you to run away from your faith and to run into other things. Let me give you an example. I'll take just a moment about this. Um, because it's sort of come up in conversation, and I do want to pause and sort of address what's going on over in the Middle East I, want to, I just want to say this. Um, some of you might have some fear going on right now because of what's taking place in the Middle East. When there's war in, in the Middle East and there's a rise in tension globally and we see it taking place now in the United States as well, there's a lot of thought that goes on with people have asking questions like, is this it? Is this the end times? And the end times can be fascinating and frightening. I get it. And there's a lot of mystery and confusion to the actual events that's going to take place in the end times and those leading up to it. When you consider the current events in Israel and the Middle East, along with so many books and blogs and people's conversations and opinions on social media, you almost like, this is it. This could be it, right? Jesus could come back any time, right? There's, Armageddon's going to take place and everybody starts going off in all these directions, right? So let's, let's begin with this. Ready? God's in control. Okay? Can we start there? God is in control. All of God's master plan for salvation is moving towards the eternal establishment of his kingdom. And he's been involved since day one throughout history. And today and tomorrow, God is in control. We can trust him on that one. Okay? Here's the second thing. It's going to happen whether we want it or not. Many believers, you know, we get weary and tired of waiting and watching for the end to come. Like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? The disciples asked Jesus, is it going to happen? And here we are a couple thousand years later, and we're just like, is it going to happen? Jesus' second coming will take place. He reassures us that. He tells us that. But he doesn't reveal when. Whether it's going to occur in our lifetime or the next, we don't know. We can look at all the prophecies that are still yet to come, and we can try to figure a lot of that out. But here's the thing. The delay and why it hasn't happened yet is because Jesus has allowed as many more people to come into the kingdom as possible. So his delay is good news. 
gives us more time to reach people for Christ. So we trust God's timing. We don't know his timing. We just trust it. We walk by faith. We claim the promise of his return. He's coming back. He's given us hints. He's given us signs as he calls them. But here's the thing. Yet even after he said, look for this, look for that, Jesus said this. He goes in Mark chapter 13. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. These are the beginning of birth pains. And some of you women know just because you have a birth pain doesn't mean the baby's coming in two seconds. It could be another 24 hours. It could be 36 hours. But what about the sequence, you know, like of the, the tribulation and the rapture? And are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? And it's like, I'm telling you something. There's a lot of opinions about there with certain end-time uh, end events. No one has 100% certainty as to this, how all those events are going to line up. With almost every theologian, you're going to find a little discrepancy with every different one. And John Piper said this, let's not make the second coming a center of controversy, but a cause of worship and earnest hope for liberating confidence in the ministry before us. In other words, we can get so caught up in how the end time events are going to come that we, we start arguing with each other and we lose unity in the body of Christ. So church, listen, God's in control. The end times are going to happen. We just don't know when. God will at some point in time bring judgment to all the earth. Satan will be defeated. A new heaven and a new earth will be fulfilled. And we will be with God eternally. So his approach, is it coming? Yes. When? We don't know. So with everything that you see going on globally right now could be the next step to the next step. But I would say this, fear not. Fear not. Satan would prefer that you fear the future and you start seeking comfort in worldly things. I better start stocking up. I better start doing this. I better do this. I better do that. Instead of, how about you just continue to build your relationship with Christ and just trust him. Let's learn a little bit more about our opponent here. He's real. Referenced throughout the Bible. Satan is real. Um, Jesus referenced him at least 25 times. At one time, if you remember, when he was uh, out in the wilderness with him for 40 days, uh, after 40 days in the wilderness, Satan came to him. He, he fought him with Scripture. Satan is the highest of all created beings. Uh, he is an angel. No, I'm sorry, not a precious moments angel like some of you maybe have uh, in your houses. He was a blazing angel. Um, he is described throughout Ezekiel. He is described in Revelation. He, he um, had this heavenly estate as the guardian of God's glory, but he fell. How did he fall? In Isaiah chapter 14, we learn more about this. Isaiah 14, it says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining stars, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth. You've been destroyed. You have destroyed the nations of the world. You said to yourself, listen to this part. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. You see the position that Satan already wants? He wants to be above God. He goes, I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens to be like the most high. You see, he wanted equal representation with God. He wanted to run the show. He wanted to be in control. And where God rules, he wanted to take that as well. And then he wanted to rule above that. He wants to be God. That's when he fell out of heaven. That's when God took this created being and cast him out of heaven. The devil knows his destiny, and his goal is to destroy as many as possible with him. 
Listen, he doesn't have to walk into your life and scare you. He can just sneak in and just whisper things. He can give you certain, uh, maybe, um, twisted truths. Again, anything he can do to keep you from worshiping God, he would do it. He, he, the biggest thing I've seen over the last uh, few years is we becoming worshipers of ourselves. As we often you know, try to avoid our pride in that, but instead of worshiping God, sometimes we, we want the center of attention. We want people to look at us. So we will say things about ourselves. We will share pictures with others about ourselves. Because why? Because we want to be liked. We want to be known. And God says, I know you, I love you. You don't have to gain it from everybody else, but the God of this world has blinded us, and we think that's the only way I'll ever be known and loved. And that's not true. But if the enemy gets us from worshiping God, and he helps us start worshiping ourselves. Let me, let me just say something about the example. For instance, the cell phone, okay? Um, Pastor Chip Ingram um, shared about a TED Talk. A TED Talk is often those leadership talks you watch, and it's like, wow, some powerful stuff, usually done by experts in certain fields. And there was this expert who talked about the, the rewiring of the brain caused through social media. Um, and he, he shared this uh, in this big TED Talk. Somebody asked him afterwards, they said, when is the best time to give your kid a phone? Okay, a lot of you have had these conversations. When's the best time I should give my kid a phone, okay? Um, this is his reply. I'll put it up on the screen. He said, as soon as you're ready for them to get suicidal, anxious, totally self-focused, talk with friends, allow the whole world to have access to the things they can't comprehend, get pornography in their mind, have them completely inundated where they can't relate to other people, that's when I would get them one. <laughs> oh, ouch, right? So, so is, it, is it wrong to have a phone? Well, I'm going to say, of course not. But be alert to what can happen through the phone. It's like any other device, any other thing we have in our life, any tool can be used for God's glory or not. Any, any vehicle that we have can be used to get us to God or to drive us away from God. And we need to be aware of that. Just look at the commercials on TV. I mean, you start watching commercials. I think we all know by now that if you buy the right shirt, you will get a girl and a fancy car. I'm, for for $29.99, I can, I can just get loaded, okay? I mean, I'll have everything I need. Well, that's what the commercials say, Right? How about TV shows that we watch? A lot of the TV shows that we watch today, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've gone back and I've watched some shows that I used to watch back in the 80s. I'm thinking, that was in there? How did I miss it? See, when we start watching stuff, things that were, that's not acceptable. All of a sudden, become a little bit acceptable. We just sort of laugh at it like, oh, okay. And then it becomes more acceptable and then becomes normal. A lot of things that we watch on TV today, it's like, well, that's normal. Everybody believes that. And if you say, that's not normal, guess what? I'm old-fashioned and I'm a bigot. That's what I'm going to be called, right? And I think it's easy, and what I'm saying is this. I think it's easy for us to point fingers at businesses, at Hollywood, at the government, at maybe uh, protest groups, academia. We can, we can point our fingers at all the people that, that came up with all these things right here. And we can point our fingers at them and say the devil's in them. Can I, can I just say this? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and spiritual forces. Okay, it's the one who's behind all of this is our enemy, not the others themselves. Let me get number four. We must respect our foe, not fear him. 
Be acutely aware of his methods. Don't be preoccupied with them. It's one thing to know about the devil. It's the other thing just to get all hung up on him and, and, and just spend a lot of time on him and give him all the credit and just wow, 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 and, you know, and, just, and just be fearful. Here's the thing. Um, respect him. Respect what he can do. We do not fear him and do not be ignorant of his schemes. Be alert to them. You know, football coaches, uh, as well as all kinds of other coaches do this, they will watch game film for hours. Why? Because they're trying to figure out the strategies and the schemes of their opponent. They want to figure out what they're going to do in this situation, what they're going to do in that situation. So that when they get out on the field to play against their opponent, they know exactly what scheme and strategy is coming their way. And they can quickly decipher it and be victorious in that moment. Same thing goes for us spiritually. We need to know what the devil's trying to do. Otherwise, we will lose. Just look at his name. Satan means adversary. He's against you. The devil means slanderer. Lucifer, his name, the name of Lucifer, the devil has a lot of different names. Lucifer is one of them. means son of the morning. It, it, you know, sometimes we expect evil to be packaged all ugly. But son of the morning sounds pretty cool, pretty beautiful, right? Listen, evil doesn't always have to look ugly. I really like visiting Sedona, Arizona. I think it's one of the most beautiful places on this earth. I really do. And, and I love to hike on the rocks there, and that's why. Right? I just love to hike, okay? But here's the thing. It is a very new age cult, cultic area, very much, okay? They stack rocks and worship rocks out there. I just hike on them, okay? I've been tempted multiple times to kick over a couple statues, but I, I don't. I refrain, okay? I know who my God is, okay? Sometimes the, the devil, Lucifer, comes across as attractive. I'm going to tell you something. He might look attractive, but he is ugly inside. He's also called the evil one in 1 John 5, which is intrinsically wicked and corrupt. And I'm going to tell you something. The things that are going on in this world, I watched uh, Sounds of Freedom. It's a, it's a movie about the children that are, are, are um, stolen and sold off into sexual slavery. And uh, that movie is based on a true story. And, I'm, and I... I got done watching I was so mad. Who in the right mind would take a child and abuse them and hurt them and sell them to sex slavery? Who would do that? It is evil. And nobody calls it out. The devil himself applauds it. And for when we stand with anything like that, we're standing with the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. When we mess up, there's that condemning voice that belittles us, like, oh, you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. You start listening to that voice and another person, it's a lie. Because you guys all, and we all know this, you are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. You are worth it. God loves you. So if you hear somebody saying, you're not good enough, that's a lie. And that's one of the devil's schemes. These are all schemes and strategies the devil will use to wedge his way into our life. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the body of Christ. He wants you uh, to be defeated, and you cannot be ignorant of what he's trying to do globally right now, as there's a lot of decline morally across this world. Now, all that to be said, my time is up, and I feel like we've ended on a right? Okay, so let's end on some good news. You got, we need to know truth, church. You need to know truth. Here's the good news. Satan's power is limited. 
He is created, therefore not omniscient or infinite. infinite. Uh, he can be resisted by the Christian. James chapter 4 uh, tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. God places limitations on him. And again, to assign too much to him or to assign too little to him um, is an error on our part. Know him, but know God more. Can I say that again? Know him, but know God more. As believers in Christ, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Okay? In Christ's power, we're invincible. Listen, church, you already won. We've already won. In Scripture, we have these promises. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Church, you have victory residing in you. The devil's already been defeated. Every child of God, look what 1 John 5 says, every child of God defeats this evil world. Let me hear you say every child. Every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory, how? Through our faith. And who can win the battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are victorious. You have Christ working in you. I've told you about our opponent. I told you about the enemy. He's a loser. He lost. We are victorious. Understand that truth. But let's stop acting like he's winning. Because he's not. He's trying to convince us that he's winning right now. He is not. Christ already won. And in this dark world, allow the light of Christ to shine through you, church. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Listen, church, Satan is a defeated foe. He is defeated. Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. We are victorious in Christ. We have the power and the resources to uh, resist Satan and his demonic attacks. You just got to learn how to put on that full armor of God. So this week, as you're grabbing your rooted books and you start going through discovering more about our opponent, about the devil, and how he tries to infiltrate into our lives, you'll get to day five, and it's going to talk about the strongholds in your life, the things that chain us, the things that bind us, that keep us from living victorious, and you're going to see how every stronghold gets broken. You have it in your church. You're victorious in Christ. You're permitted to throw your shoulders back, lift your chin up and say, I'm victorious because my God is alive and he reigns in me. Would you stand please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Lord, we want to know what is true. We want to be aware of and alert to what's going on around us. We do not want to walk in fear. And there's so much going on in this world today that, that upsets us, that frustrates us. Things that we see are evil, that are morally wrong, and we've got to call them what they are. They, those things are sin. And they are from the devil. But praise God. Praise you, Heavenly Father, that you give victory over the evil one. That through your shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, his victory over sin and death, we now have that same victory residing in us. And through our faith in you, we can live victoriously. And even though we have lies circulating around us and we have deception circulating around us and we have temptation and we have all these things that will come against us, nothing can come against you and be victorious. Nothing can come up against you. 
and be victorious because you are victory. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the faith that we can have through your Son. Thank you for the victory we can find. We love you, Heavenly Father. We want to praise you with this song. In thy name we pray. Amen.